You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. The triune God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them, uh, mankind, not just Adam and Eve, let them, mankind, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Uh, We went into this into detail. I'm not going to go into detail today, but I want us to remember, I want us to see God created man in his image. God created man in his likeness. God created man a very high order for man and man alone is created in the image of God. None of the animals created in the image of God. You are... uh, the culmination of his creation, created in the image of God. And he says, I want you to have dominion over your environment. God gave the entire earth to Adam and Eve. And he says, I want you to have dominion over it. I don't want your environment having dominion over you. I don't want your work having dominion over you. I don't want your neighbors having dominion over you. I don't want your social problems having dominion over you. I don't want your finances having dominion over you. I want you to have dominion over everything that I've given you. Verse 27. So God created man. There's that word bara. Created out of nothing. Created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Uh, three times there, the word bar is used. It is not used that much anywhere else, and it's in relation to man, uh, the soul, the mind, the spirit, the heart, bara, created from God. Uh, both male and female, I want you to know, uh, both male and female, very distinct individuals. No blurred lines. God made men and God made women. And he made them both, what? In his image. God has strong masculine attributes. And God has feminine attributes. And God distributes his gifts as he wills into our lives. Each of us distinctively, but made very different. But both bearing the full image of God. And men do not bear the image of God more than women. And women do not bear the image of God more than men. Uh, Both of us uh, uh, created in his image. Excuse me. Verse 28. Then God blessed them. He married them right there on the spot. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Here, God says, I want you to be very fruitful in your life. You have a God who has created you. God is a marvelous creator, and he created you to be fruitful. And you notice he tells us again there for the second time. What did he tell us for the second time? Have dominion. 
Don't let things have dominion over you. You've got things backwards when things have dominion over you. You are to have dominion over all these things. I am God. And, and, and when you are in me, you are to have dominion over everything. Verse 29. God says, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seeds. To you it shall be for food. I love the delicious varieties of the foods that God has given. Just amazing. I had a... Uh, uh, smoothie this morning early uh, on my way into the church and uh, strawberries and bananas and blueberries and just amazing flavors, right? Uh, the diversity of God is just unbelievable, uh, delicious. And he said, I've made all this for you. And just, uh, you know, you can just walk by and pick an orange off a tree and enjoy. Verse 30, <clears throat> also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there's life, I have given every green herb for food. And so it was. Now we know that before the flood, the animal kingdom was herbivores, uh, the entire animal kingdom. Uh, so God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. God was really pleased with his creation. This is what God wanted. This touched his heart. This meant something significant and important to him. Uh, and so <clears throat> the evening and the morning were the six days. Imagine the power of God. In six days, he spoke the universe into creation. Amazing to consider. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested. Uh, not that he was tired, uh, he rested just means he finished working. He had built everything that he had wanted to build, and he was done. And uh, on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, set it apart, uh, because he rested or finished all his work, which God had created and made. Created bara, made a saw, Created out of nothing, a saw took those elements and put them together in different ways and fashioned them for the universe that we have today. Uh, so here we see this world that God created. And we look at the world, and it is incredibly beautiful, is it not? Uh, you look at a sunset, and are you not just staggered at the beauty? And I want you to know, evolution has no answer for that. Why is the sunset so beautiful? Uh, there is nothing in the evolutionary process that would make that a necessity. Uh, it, it, why was it done? Well, it was done to give glory to God. You look at a mountain range capped with snow, and you look from afar, and you see the majestic mountains. You stand at the Grand Canyon. Uh, uh, you, you look at it. I've got a friend up in... Uh, uh, Lake Mead right now, and he sent me some pictures. They're mountain biking on the rim of Lake Mead. It's just majestic. And you look at it and you say, why? Uh, that serves no evolutionary purpose. Well, it does serve a very purpose in God's kingdom. It reveals God's glory. Psalm 19 would say, the heavens declare, or, or in other words, the sky, the universe, was declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day and to day, they utter speech, 
And night unto night, they reveal knowledge or wisdom. You look out into that sunset and you go, oh my gosh, it's stunningly beautiful. And it makes you ponder on the glory of God. We look at the world and it is incredibly beautiful. But it is also crystal clear that as we look at the world, it is broken. It is full of lying, of cheating, of deceptions, of thievery, of heinous things like rape and murder. And the world is just filled with a myriad of cruel and evil behaviors. And when we look at all this, we would have to say, God, why did you make the world that way? Why is there so much wickedness? Why is there so much pain and suffering in this world? And some Christians would say, well, God didn't make it that way. God made the world perfect. Adam and Eve sinned, and because of sin, these evils came into the world. And that is 100% true. But it's a lame answer. Because we believe that God has certain attributes that the Bible clearly teaches over and over and over again. And one of those attributes is that God is sovereign. That means that God is in full control of everything. That nothing escapes his control. Well, if God is sovereign, then we can't blame this fallen world on Adam and Eve. Uh, It diminishes God's sovereignty. It's a lame answer. God made the world knowing. Uh, We believe in, in God's sovereignty. We also, the Bible teaches clearly that God is omniscient. Omniscient means that God knows everything. Nothing you can do surprise him. God cannot learn. He is omniscient. He knows everything. Those are attributes that are beyond our grasp, but they are uh, ascribed to God and to God alone. And so uh, God made this world knowing that it was going to be a fallen world. And so the question then comes, why was this fallen world God's plan? And why was this fallen world God's best plan? For if God is omniscient, and if God is sovereign, could not have God made a world where there was no pain and suffering? Absolutely. He already has. It's called heaven. And there is no pain or suffering. There is no lying. There is no cheating. There is no stealing. There is no rape. There is no murder. Why then did God not make that world? Uh, God didn't make that world. He made this fallen world where you and I were created to live in. Not by our choice, by the way. And the question is why? As we look back on all that we have learned in Genesis, we as an epilogue can begin to see why God made this fallen world as the best possible world for us to be in. 
And it seems contrary to our thinking. We would think we would rather have a utopia world, but God in his wisdom has chosen to make this fallen world, and it is indeed his best plan. And we say, well, why would this fallen world be the best plan? And I really debated about how to share this with you. Normally, before I give you the answer, I like to help you discover the question in depth. I like to get your wheels turning to make you really think on things before you just find out the answer. But today, I'm going to do it in reverse. I'm going to give you the answer first, and then I'm going to help you unpack that on why it is. Why did God make this fallen world and choose this fallen world with all the pain and suffering as the very best world that he could have made? And the answer is because God wants to be known. God wants to be known. Contrary to what we might think, this world is the best world for us to know God. And you say, I don't think so. And I say, I don't blame you. But let, stay, stay with me for a little bit. Let me unpack it with you. Clearly, God could have done things different. Even on this world, he could do things different. For example, God could easily, every seven years... Open up the heavens and show the radiant glory of heaven, the throne room with angels and seraphim and cherubim all singing praises to God, the radiant glory of God, the, the illuminating light of God breaking forth, uh, and all the world could see the glory of God for seven minutes. And then, the sky recedes and back to normal. And then he says, but wait, there's more. For six minutes, I'll open up the torrents of hell. And you would see the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and the burning flames and the pain and the anguish. And he would say, that's enough and close it back up. How many of you would believe in God? Everyone. Everyone. But, well, let me go somewhere. How many of you would want to go to heaven instead of hell? Everyone. There wouldn't be an atheist anywhere. Why doesn't God do that? Because why would you want to go to heaven? Here's why. Because you're a selfish little piggy, and you'd rather live in Rancho Santa Fe than in Chula Vista. No offense to you Trillistas. <laughs> and I know we have some. Uh, how do I always get in trouble? I just, I, I, I'm so, so quick to run amok. My point simply being, uh, we would choose God just for the better of the two. And yet we would not know him. And God has chosen this fallen world as his best way for us to know him. Why? Because God wants to be known. And that ought to encourage your heart that you have a God who wants you to know him. Contrary to what we might think, 
God in all of his all of his wisdom has gifted man, has gifted fallen man, I should say, with a greater capacity to know God, to know his person, his heart, and the supremacy of his will and the supremacy of his word, he has gifted fallen man with a greater capacity to know him than a unfallen man. Let me illustrate more. A man who has never been exposed to sin and to evil could not have the same capacity to understand the depths of God's person, nor the riches of his mercy and his grace and his loving kindness towards us. Do you remember Jesus, uh, God who became a man? He told us a parable. And the purpose of a parable, by the way, is what? It is to reveal, they're called kingdom parables. They're to reveal truths about God's kingdom that we couldn't understand on our own. And so Jesus would tell parables to illuminate our eyes to understand things about his kingdom. One of the parables he told was the parable of the prodigal son. How many of you know the story of the prodigal son? And I want to see actually, so if you know it, hold your hand up for a moment. All right, looks like most of you. How many of you have not heard the story of the prodigal son? Few of you, okay? Uh, just as a reminder to keep it fresh on all of our hearts, let me just kind of go over it with you. Uh, the story of the prodigal son is uh, uh, a man had two sons. Uh, and this is a, a parable, it's not real. Uh, but Jesus was trying to illustrate things of the kingdom. This man has two sons. And one of the sons is just a good boy, just a good boy. He's like, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, dad. Oh, love you, daddy. Uh, uh, you know, just a good, a good son. And the other son has a little stronger will. And this man, this father, was pretty wealthy. And uh, the boys grow. They become of age. And the, the strong-willed son says, hey, dad, give me my inheritance. Why, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to wait for you to die before I get the inheritance? Give me, your, give me the inheritance now, man. I want to I live. I want to move out. I want to get a house. I want to do my own thing. Give me, give me the inheritance. Dad says, no, not yet, not yet. And he pestered him day after day. Give me the inheritance. Finally, the dad relents after all the pestering, and he gives him the inheritance. And that boy leaves the home, and he goes out with all that money, and he squanders it with prodigal living. He's whining and dining. He's sleeping with all kinds of girls. He's got a beautiful harem around him all the time. He's going to Vegas. He's going to clubs. He's just buying cars. He's doing all the, going to Tahiti and Fiji and all the surf trips and everything else, right? And he's got friends all over the place. You're going, sir, let's go. I'll take it. Yeah, no problem. I got money. Let's go. And so all the sleeping around, all the living in luxury, he squanders all that his father had given him. And all of his friends that he thought were friends, 
Guess what he found out? They're not really friends. We have to learn that not all loves are real loves. And he learns that not all friends are real friends. Not all loves are real loves. And they aren't there for him. He says, man, can I just stay at your house? No, no, sorry, sorry. And he finds himself starving and homeless with no place to go. And he goes looking for a job. And the only job he can find is feeding the pigs. And he's starving And there one day, as he's feeding the pigs, he actually picks up some of the pig food and he starts eating it. And as he is eating the pig food, he comes to a census and he thinks, what am I doing? My father's house was so good. Even the servants in my father's house Even the janitor in my father's house sits dressed and dignified and respected and has good meals set before him and a warm bed to sleep in. I want to go back to my father's house. And I will tell my father, Father, forgive me. I have sinned against you. I have wasted all your resources that you've given me. And I'm not worthy to be your son. But can I please just be your servant? Can I clean your toilets? Can I clean your bathrooms? Can I just, can I just work for you? And maybe my dad will have mercy on me. He's such a good man. And there, hungry and starving, stinky and stingy, worn out clothes, uh, skin diseases from all the filth and squalor he's been living in, he heads back home to his father's house, rehearsing his speech, begging for forgiveness, brokenhearted at his foolish decisions. And what do we see in the story? Well, the father waiting for the son looking for the son and not even waiting for the son to come to him. The father takes off running for the son with the royal robe in his hand. And he comes to a son that smells like pigsty and looks even worse. And he puts the royal robe of the family on him and rejoices. And he brings that stinky son home and Jesus would tell the story, the other son who never lived anywhere else but in the golden kingdom, he had disdain in his heart. And I want to ask you, which of those two sons better understood the love of the father? Which of those two sons better understood The heart, the grace, the mercy, the wisdom, the profound character, the amazing person of the Father. And that is why God's best plan was for this fallen world. Because God wants to be known, and he wants to be known by you. 
Who has a better understanding of God's heart, of God's forgiveness, of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's person? An unblemished angel in heaven or the woman caught in the act of adultery? I want you to know something. Man is very unique in all of God's creation. Can you think of how? I'd like to hear from you. Uh, you know, one of the things I... Uh, you always hear me speak. I love hearing you speak. And one of the things I love about being in our small groups is I get to hear your insights and your thoughts. And I can't wait to be in a small group with you this Tuesday, men. Uh, but uh, I'd like to hear from you now. Man is very unique in all of God's creation. Man and man alone. Can you tell me how? Choice. Choice. Uh, well, let's see. Is that true? For we know that angels have free choice. For angels, a third of them, we're told in the book of Revelation, left their first estate and uh, followed after Satan. So it's not choice. Uh, what is it? How is man unique in all of God's creation? Just blurt it out. Made in his image? Okay. Uh, free, free will? No, we already said angels have free will. Uh, angels are very moral. Uh, let me give you the answer. Man is very unique in all of God's creation in that man and man alone, by man, man I mean humans, man and man alone has the ability to sin and disobey God and still be in relationship with him. That is an ability that has been given to man and man only. The moment that an angel disobeys God, they are cast out. And no chance of redemption. The book of Hebrews makes that very clear. God never became an angel and went to a cross for an angel. God did become a man and went to the cross to redeem a man. Man is unique in all of God's creation in that only man can be fallen into the depths of sin and still enter into a relationship with God. And God did all that. Why? So that you might know him better. That you might know the depth of his heart and his mind and his love for you. And as I pondered these things, and what a wretched sinner I am, I was just moved to tears this week, thinking, oh Lord, you are incredible. You are incredible that you would endure all of these things. The prodigal son learned depths of his father's heart and the selfless virtue of his father's love for him. He learned how good and wise and life-giving his father's rules were and how that they didn't, weren't put in place to hinder his life as he thought in his foolishness. They were actually all put in place to give him life and life abundant. And that none of these rules were commands because my dad is strict. All of these rules were instructions to give me life to the fullest. And the prodigal son learned things that the other son could not ever know about his father. And for this reason, God made this earth. 
the way it is. Hypothetically, by force, that prodigal son story, uh, the father could have prevented the prodigal son from ever leaving home. But the son would have never known the depths of the father's love. He would have never known how good and wise he is. And so at great pain to who? To the father, the father lets the son go off into a world of sin. At great pain to who? To the Father. And can I tell you something? That is exactly what the Bible teaches us. Let me give you this verse. It's in Romans 9, verse 22. It's on your screens. Take a look at this. Worthy of memory, by the way. Great memory verse. Uh, Let me hear you read this in a unified voice. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering stop there endured with much long suffering well, let me give you some synonyms for that endured with tremendous pain and anguish who did god did what if god endured tremendous pain and anguish the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, read with me, so that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. God endured all that sin in the world so that he might make known the riches of his glory on those who would come to him, which he prepared beforehand for his glory, even us, Whom he called, not the Jews only, but what? Also us Gentiles to the praise and glory of God. How amazing. How amazing. So the first thing that we learn from Genesis is that God wants to be known. And not just known like, I believe in God. No, no, no. The demons believe in God and they tremble. God has no interest in you saying, I believe there's a God. God wants to be known, and he wants to be known intimately. He wants to be known by you deeply, a close, personal way that includes detailed knowledge of his heart, of his mind, and of his will for you. God wants to be known by you. And he is revealing himself in a myriad of ways, chiefly in his word. It is amazing to have an intimate relationship. Uh, My wife and I have been married for 37 years, and I can know what my wife likes even when she's not there. I can look at something and go, my wife would love that. I could look at something and go, oh, she wouldn't like that. Or I can look and see something, oh, she's not going to like this, right? Uh, Can I tell you something? That is the exact relationship God wants to have with you. He wants you to be able to walk out that door and know exactly how he feels about whatever it is you see. Because you know him that intimately from his word. God's word reveals his will. God's word reveals his mind. God's will reveals his heart. And we see the heart of God on display 
over and over and over again towards you. It is incredible. God wants to be known. The second thing we learn in Genesis is that man has very little interest in knowing God. God desperately wants to be known by you, and yet man has very little interest in knowing God. Look how easily Eve was deceived by the lure, by the temptation of self-promotion. Just a little self-promotion would make man go, ah, put God away. I want this. And isn't, isn't it amazing? We have this God who want, made us for him, just would give us everything. And we would drop him like a hot rock for a little trinket right over here of temptation. Astonishing. So easily deceived by the lure of self-promotion. And we are no different. We also learn from Genesis that man has very little interest in knowing God and he wants to just appease God through vain religion. Where did we learn that? Well, it was the very first story in the Bible after the fall of man. The very first story that God chose to tell us in the book of Genesis after the fall of man was the story of Cain and Abel. And do you know what the thesis of the story of Cain and Abel is? You can't come to me any way you want. How was Cain coming? To, did Cain believe in God? Of course. Cain was going to church. And Cain was bringing his little offering to church. And God said, it's unacceptable. Unacceptable. Why? Because Cain was just playing religion. He wasn't going there to know God. Abel came to God and he came with sin offerings. He said, Lord, I have sinned. I have fallen. I'm a prodigal. Please forgive me. I know you love me. And Lord, I thank you so much for your love. And here is a sin offering that you have instructed me to do. I'm obeying you, Lord. I'm coming to you on your terms. Lord, you're amazing. I worship you. Abel, on the other hand, he just brought some little offering and said, yeah, here you go, God. Uh, he came into church that day with no desire to know God or to seek his face or to care about what God wants. And God simply said, I'm not taking your offering. And God also told Cain this. Cain got upset. Guess who he was mad at? God. What do you mean you won't set my offering? I'm a good guy. See the problem? Jesus would tell a parable. A parable is a kingdom story to help us understand his kingdom. And he would say two men went into the temple to pray. One of them was a religious leader, a pastor. And he said, God, I thank you that I'm so righteous. I thank you that I'm so amazing. I thank you that I'm better than all these parishioners for crying out loud. I study your Bible and I'm amazing. I even gave, I even gave 50 bucks to a guy one time about 20 years ago. Thank you that I'm so amazing, Lord. 
And Jesus would say of that man that he only prayed with himself. It was vain religion. He went to church, but it was just all for his own self-righteousness, to make him feel better about himself. And God says, I'm not interested. There was another man in the church that day, in the temple that day. And he walked in, not so much even looking up, but bowing his head to the ground, beating his chest. Lord, be merciful to me. I'm such a sinful man. And Jesus says, I tell you, that man went away justified and righteous and not the other. It's the story of Cain and Abel. It's the exact same story. God wants to be known, but man has little interest in knowing God. We would rather play religion. And God says, I'm not interested. And may we be wise. May we take it to heart because we are no different. We come to church and there's so many amazing people here and there's such great fellowship here and such good friends here. Who wouldn't want to be here, man? It's a great place. But make sure you come through those doors seeking the heart of God. And make sure you come fully aware of your sin and that you are only here by the Lamb's blood that was shed for you that can allow you to come into that presence and makes you grateful in your heart to say, Lord, thank you so much for your grace and mercy on me through Jesus Christ that you will accept me as a worshiper and now I can sing praises to you for being so good to me. Well, now you've come to church. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, I wish that you were hot or that you were cold. But because you're lukewarm, you're like vomit in my mouth. Tell me how you really feel, Jesus. <laughs> Nothing more vile than vomit in your mouth. Uh, man, I, I, I can't stand that smell, that taste. I can't wait to brush my teeth. Everybody's cringing. <laughs> so hot, I understand. I wish you were hot or wish you were cold. Cold, I don't understand. Hot, what does hot mean? Hot means, Lord, I am all about you. I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about you. I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking about, Lord, how good you are to me and, I, and I'm talking with you. And then I get in my car and every one of my buttons on my radio is, is a Christian station. And all my playlists on Spotify are, are Christian music. And I, and I listen to the teaching of your word as I'm driving to work because I'm hot for you. And God says, I wish you were hot for me. And may I say, there is no other way that God will accept. Uh, there's many people who say, well, you know, I don't want to be one of those born again types, uh, you know, that are all fanatical. Can I tell you something? There's no other kind. There is no other kind. You are either all for Christ or you are against him. And Jesus says, I wish you were either red hot for me or you were against me. But because you're lukewarm, you're like vomit in my mouth. Well, hot I understand. Vomit and lukewarm I understand. Why cold? Well, if you're cold for me, 
there's a good chance that when you're done taking drugs and you're done having spending all your money on hoochie mamas, <laughs> you'll be eating out of a pig trough and you will come to your senses and you will become hot for me. But if you are lukewarm, coming to church, thinking you're just fine, there is nothing I can ever do to get through to you. And so may we be wise, and may we learn. We learn some things. Uh, God wants to be known. Man has little interest in knowing him. For a little lure of self-promotion, Eve would run away. Cain had no interest in God, just vain religion. God would have a preacher named Noah preach a message of 120 years. World, you're sinful. Come into the ark and be saved. There is one door. There is one way. There is one entrance. It is through my son, Jesus Christ, Come into the ark and be saved from the judgment of the world. And in 120 years, how many came? Zero. Only Noah and his family. God wants to be known, but man has little interest in knowing God. The third thing we learn about God from the book of Genesis is that God pursues man with a vigorous passion and with a marvelous grace. And I am so thankful. We studied this life of this man named Jacob. And we saw what a scumbag he was. He was rightly named Jacob, which means swindler or heel catcher. And he lived up to his name, man. And God has a calling on his life. And yet we see him scheming and cheating and working every business deal with deception and dishonesty just to make a few more bucks. And he would run amok a myriad of different ways. Even when it came to spiritual things, he would deceive his own father for a spiritual blessing. He would swindle his own brother for a spiritual blessing. Can you imagine the folly? Lying and cheating and doing things God doesn't like for a spiritual blessing? And yet it happens to you and I all the time. Hey, I'm praying for you when I haven't prayed for you. Why did I say that? For some spiritual blessing? I see pastors who go against the things that God wants simply to build their church. Why would we do that? And yet God's pursuing love continues to pursue and to call and to bring back to truth this crazy guy named Jacob who is going sideways on every chance he gets. 
and we watch. There's 360 degrees in a circle, and we watch Jacob go this way, and God say, no, no, Jacob, go true north. Okay. Uh, no, no, Jacob, go true north. Okay. <laughs> and God's pursuing relentless, marvelous grace, bringing him back to truth. We watch God continue to build him. We watch God continue to cleanse him, to forgive him for his wrongdoings over and over and over again. And even though Jacob was foul and loathsome, God never quit pursuing him as if Jacob was something great and worth pursuing. And as I thought of that this week, man, my heart just overflowed. I broke down in tears on my desk because I'm that Jacob. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, you bless me abundantly over and over and over again. And how quickly I'll run astray at some little thing to make a little better advantage for myself in some way. And I was just in awe and marveling at God's grace and mercy towards me. It really blows my mind. God pursues Jacob as he's foul, he's filthy, he's the guy in the pigsty, he's, he's, and yet he's the prodigal son's son who just smells like pig's, pig filth. And, and the father just continues to pursue him and to wrap his arms around him. And I marvel at his grace. Jesus gave us another parable talking about what the kingdom is that reveals this pursuing love of God towards us, his marvelous grace and mercy, his vigorous pursuit. Do you remember what parable it is? They just put it on the screens for you, so I can't ask. Uh, it's the, par the pearl of the great price. Let's read it together, a unified voice. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you understand that parable? That merchant seeking beautiful pearls is God. And that one pearl that he found is the church of Jesus Christ. And that God left heaven and emptied himself of all of his glory, fully God, uh, but the kenosis. Uh, even though he was God, he emptied himself and became of no reputation, was born into a poor family, and became a man. God, the creator of the universe, became creation. Why? Because there was a pearl in that field called earth that he wanted for himself and he gave everything to purchase it. And God's pursuit of us is just incredible. He pursues us with a vigorous passion and a marvelous grace that is just hard to even grasp and fathom that it could be true. So we've learned some things. We've learned that, number one, what did we learn? 
God wants to be known. We learn from Genesis that man has very little interest in knowing God. And we've learned that God pursues us with a vigorous passion and with mercy and grace. And the fourth thing that we learn is that God's detailed plan of salvation through Jesus Christ was laid out from before the foundation of the earth. He is sovereign. This world is not out of control. It is exactly what he wanted it to be. And it is the best place for you and I to know him. And he is working in and through all of it. This detailed plan of salvation that he prepared and laid out before the earth was ever formed. And we saw that all through the book of Genesis. For Adam and Eve, in their selfishness, rebel against God and sin against God. And what does God do? Well, they sinned and something miraculous happened. They were made in the image of God. They were clothed with the radiant glory of God. Uh, they had the Shekinah glory, the, the light of God radiating from them. And the moment that they sinned, the presence of God departed from them. And they saw their nakedness. They became what we know as human. Before that, they were a creation that you and I know nothing of. They became, like you or me, naked in the shower. Once clothed with the radiant glory of God, now naked as a jaybird. And to hide their nakedness, what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together. Or in other words, what God is telling us, by the works of their hands, they tried to cover their spiritual nakedness. And we do the same thing. Well, I'm a good person. I do this. I gave some old clothes to the Salvation Army. I took out my neighbor's trash one time. I, I'm a good, at least I don't do what she does, man. I mean, what the heck? What are we doing? We're trying to cover our spiritual nakedness by the works of our hands. And God's message to Adam and Eve, not possible. What did God clothe them with? He clothed them with the skin of a lamb. And for the first time, they saw death as they confessed their sins on this lamb. And it bled in their place. And they were clothed with the skin of that lamb. Can I tell you something, church? You confess your sins to Jesus Christ. And you are clothed with the skin of the lamb. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is imparted to you. And your spiritual nakedness is removed and you are clothed. This plan of salvation, thought out, a detailed plan before the foundation of the earth and revealed to Adam and Eve. He, God then tells Adam and Eve, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the Messiah. 
And he's going to come and save the people from the sins. And from that point on, God's plan of redemption was being told over and over and over. And we saw it told in the life of Joseph, did we not? As we had those 23 different points of how Joseph was a prefigure to exquisite detail of the person of Jesus Christ. Because that message of salvation was planned from the beginning of time. I want you to know this world is not out of control. Not one detail has escaped from God's sovereign plan. May I remind you what Jesus taught? Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from my Father's will. And so as you go through the pains of the world that prodigal living brings and the sin in the world that is here, know this, God is sovereign, he is in control, and his plan is being laid out, and your redemption is secure. Amazing things. So let's review. We've got four things, right? Number one, what? God wants to be known. Number two, man has little interest in knowing God. Number three? God pursues man with a vigorous passion and with marvelous grace. And number four, this plan of salvation was laid out from the foundation of the world, and you are secure in him. I want to finish our time together. Uh, uh, what time do we have? We've got uh, I've got to hurry. Uh, I want to finish our time together. He's back. Uh, <laughs> I want to finish our time together with looking at one last thing. What does God want man to be? Why did he create you? And what was his hope for you? What does he want you to be? What was his plan? God taught us uh, that man was the highest order in his creation. Six days he made everything and he says, oh, it's all good. But man, it's very good when he made man and he gave all of his creation to man hey it's all yours the earth is yours rule over have dominion i don't really care about the dolphins i don't really care about the fish i care about you all that stuff i made for you i made you for me what was god's plan after god finished his work after he made man he said i'm finished this is what i wanted i'm done this is this is it what was his plan well, we heard, we read that we were made in the image of God. What does that mean? What does that mean to be made in the image of God? What an incredible privilege. What does it mean? Uh, well, right off the bat, we look at it, we think, well, it must mean that we look like God. I mean, like, God probably has two eyes. God probably has two ears. God probably has a nose and a mouth, two hands. Uh, we, we probably we think that. And then we learn in the Bible, no, 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 uh, God is a spirit, Jesus said, God is a spirit, John 4. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, what does what he mean, God is a spirit? Well, it means that, that God doesn't have any physical matter. He doesn't have a material body. God has a spiritual existence that is everywhere present. And he would try to teach that to Israel. He said, listen, uh, you can't make images and, and, and to worship me because I'm a spirit. And you can worship me anywhere because I'm a spirit. 
And God commanded the Israelite not make any idols as the other nations did in the form of anything in creation because God's a spirit. And yet, this spiritual God brought the universe into existence, time, space, and matter, a continuum that we studied in depth, that he brought into existence. This spirit God can bring matter into existence. Since God has no physical form, what then does it mean to be made in his image? Well, to be made in his image means we have to look at the person of God. God is amazingly talented. He is an incredible artist. And we have been made in his image with many diverse talents. Just amazing. There are artists in this room. There are engineers in this room. There are administrators in this room. There are all kinds of different gifts that God has given. Why? Because we have been made in his image. Uh, my daughter got married on Thursday. And uh, it was a beautiful wedding. Oh, she just she's the apple of my eye, by the way. Uh, I cried like a baby. I just, I just cried all week long. Uh, but what a testimony of God's work in her life. It was moving. It was powerful. But we have this wedding, and we're there at this beautiful place, and, and it's amazing. It's this uh, garden, and there's trees overhanging, and, and they've strung lights in the trees, and there's grass, and there's a, a pond, and there's frogs, and there's lilies, and there's uh, tables, and on top of the tables, they're all adorned with beautiful settings, and and guess who did all that? Man did all that. And it was amazing. It was beautiful. And do you know why we do that? Because we're made in the image of God. God is an amazing artist, an amazing designer, an amazing craftsman. And he gives us all of those gifts. Uh, the beauty was stunning. And it was so neat to be there. And I bring all that up because you have been gifted by God with many diverse talents. And God gave you these different gifts. Some of you are winsome encouragers. Some of you are amazing helpers. Some of you are just incredible leaders. You just show up and you just start leading wherever you go. Uh, why? Because you're a mago day. You're made in the image of God. And I want you to know something. God gave you some of those gifts, but not all of those gifts. And here's why. Because he wanted you to be part of the family of God. And when all those gifts come together in the family of God, all the gifts there are then together and it is amazing to receive the different gifts that each of you have as you receive the gifts that I have and we come together and we are complete in the kingdom of Christ. And so you have important gifts. And you say, yeah, I know I heard the announcement from men's ministry and mission groups. I don't really need it. I'm good. No, you need it. You are not an island. You are meant to be in fellowship. And that is how God made you. And furthermore, others need the gifts that you have. And when you use them, you will find worth and purpose as you are now being used by God as a builder in his kingdom. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. 
Secondly, God is a relational being who loves and who desires to be known in deep, meaningful relationships that we've already covered. And may I say something? You've been made in that image also. You need to have deep, meaningful relationships in your life, more than just business relationships, because you will become a machine if all you do is work. And you will be less than what God created you to be. It is by pouring into others and by being thoughtful and caring of others that you become your best self. And so you are a, a relational being that God, just like God. Uh, God procreates. And God gives you the ability to procreate. Uh, uh, speaking of relationships, at that wedding, I wish I could have invited all of you. That's what I kept saying to my wife. I wish, I wish everybody could be here, right? Uh, but there, it was, there were great relationships there, right? Uh, that's what we're made for. And now you've been made in the image of God to procreate. And I'm hoping my daughter comes back from the honeymoon with a baby. <laughs> that would be amazing. Because you've been created to procreate. But not just natural children. You've been created to procreate what? Spiritual children. As you disciple and as you pour into others, and as you take what God has given to you and give it to others, God will give you spiritual children. And just like creating physical children, it will feel good and be rewarding in powerful ways in your life. And you say, I don't know if I can do that. You can't without Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus fed 5,000? Do you remember how the whole thing started? Jesus said, uh, Peter says, hey, Jesus, let's send these guys home. They're, they're bugging us. We've been with them all day, and we'd like to get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I don't want to send them home hungry. And he looks at the disciples, and here's what he tells them. You guys give them something to eat. And what do you think they did? Moi? We got nothing. All we have are these two little fish, five little loaves. There is no way we can feed these 5,000 people plus their wives plus their kids. No way. And Jesus says, yes, you can. You give them something to eat. What? Bring it to me. They brought it to Jesus, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and they gave to everybody and everybody was filled to abundance. Do you think Jesus was talking about food that day? Jesus was not talking about food that day. Jesus was saying, hey, you got a little fish at church today. And you got a little bread at church today. Guess what I want you to do? Go feed your starving neighbors. I don't think I can. I know you don't. But I'll bless it. And all multiply it, and all have it do its perfect work. Take what God has given you and go out and feed the world. God procreates, and He wants you to procreate, be builders of His kingdom. God gave you the ability to have spiritual sons and spiritual daughters, all to the glory of God. And it is rewarding, man. It is rewarding. 
God is a free moral agent. And you've been made as God's image, Imago Dei. What is a free moral agent? Well, a free moral agent is someone who has free will to make their own decisions based on their ethics and their wisdom. A free moral agent is someone who can understand right from wrong and therefore be held responsible for their actions. And God has made you a free moral agent. And do you know what we learned from Genesis? Genesis taught us that God does not obstruct human will. He will not keep us back. He will not hinder our human will. Why? Because God values your individuality. God is not making divine drones. God is making sons and daughters who have experienced the Father's love and choose freely to love and to worship Him. God wants this world to be full of beings that are so united to Him, uh, but yet still exist as distinct individuals. And I want you to know your individuality will never be greater than when you are in walking in God's path for your life. Uh, we read, uh, we hear of atheists as they're speaking publicly, maybe at Christopher Hitchens or whatever, and they will often say things like this. If God is real, just strike me dead right now. See, God didn't strike me dead Therefore, God's not real. Uh, we've all heard that, right? Uh, I want you to know something. For God, for God, it would be useless to override human will because God values our individuality. God has gone through great lengths to give it to you. It is the expression of your will that makes us individuals. And uh, so I have a C.S. Lewis quote I'd like you to, like you to see. Uh, let me hear you read this. God's desire is to fill the universe with a lot of little replicas of himself-like creatures whose life on a miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own. Not because he has absorbed them, but because their will freely conforms to his. Do you understand the picture? They have experienced that God's path is good. They are like the prodigal son who went amok and says, I just want to be back home in dad's house. His ways are right. His ways are good. And therefore, we go out into the world as free moral agents who want to serve God. I'm going to give you just a, a, a few things I'm going to read off real quick here. I want you to think about these. Satan wants us to be so driven by our lust that we are no longer free moral agents. Satan wants us to be so driven by our lust that we can, only be, uh, we can easily be controlled like mere cattle with grain. Losing our distinct individuality. Have you ever heard the expression, he's just a common drunk? What does it mean? Oh, don't listen to him. He's just, he's just, he screams at his family. They're just, just a common drunk. He's lost his, his individuality. That's what sin will do to us. You get some 55-year-old guy buying a red Corvette and wearing gold chains and dyeing his hair, and guess what he's done? He's lost his individuality. 
You see some kid with pink hair and purple this, and what have they done? They've lost their individuality. Hey, I'm fine with you wearing whatever kind of car you have and whatever fashion you want to wear, but don't get your identity from it. You want to have pink hair? Fine. But don't do it for identity's sake. Sin causes us to lose our identity. And God wants you to be an individual full of identity. I'll read off a few of these to you. Satan wants us as cattle who exist to become as food. God wants us as servants who exist to become as sons. Satan wants to swallow us to make himself bigger. God wants to equip us to send us out as rulers in his image. Satan wants humans merely to sit on them to elevate his throne higher. God wants humans to co-reign with him co-reign with him as wise, benevolent, master builders of his kingdom. Big difference, man. Satan works from a state of hunger that constantly needs to be filled. God works from a state of abundance that lavishly overflows. In Satan, we lose our identity. It is swallowed up in selfishness and vice. In God, our identity is valued, preserved, and displayed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this is his plan for us. What is God making of us? More than you could ever dream. God's plans for you are so huge. God is making us sons and daughters, creatures who have such a capacity to know God. His mind, his heart, his grace, his mercy, his loving kindness, his power, that we are thoroughly equipped to rule and reign with Jesus in his kingdom for all eternity. God's plans for you are so lofty you cannot even believe it. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.